Amen. Good morning, King's Cross. And Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you uh, again this morning. My soul has been fed and served well the last few weeks as Pastor Hez has preached a couple sermons from Galatians and Pastor Luke uh, beginning our Advent series on last Sunday. Uh, it's good uh, to be an ordinary Christian and to sit under the word preached uh, and to have your favorite preachers even at your own church uh, to do that. And so it's been a sweet gift to me uh, to be able to do that, but excited to be back with you this morning. This second Sunday of Advent, as we continue our series, Classic Christmas, we come and think on the incarnation of Christ, this great doctrine that indeed the second person of the eternal Godhead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, became flesh. The Son of God became Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We meditate on these things and think on these things. Last week, Pastor Luke gave you an early Christmas present by considering the miraculous incarnation of Christ. And thinking on the glories of the fact that it is supernatural, that there are miracles, that we must believe in this God if we are to believe in the truth. It was a rich sermon that stirred my own affections by refreshing me in the glories of our Lord's first coming. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and please watch it. There's much that he said there that I could say this morning that I'm not going to because he said there. Again, I would encourage you to go back and watch it on our website or on our podcast and enjoy But this morning, I have another Christmas present for you, an early Christmas present, present closely connected to the one from last week. It is a present that God's people have always enjoyed. It is a present that if you're a Christian, you have, even if perhaps you've forgotten about it. It is a present that I think every single person on the planet longs for, whether they know it or not, whether they agree or not. It is a present, though not tangible, that is, you cannot see it, with your eyes or hold it with your hands, but it is instead one you can feel in your soul and that will hold you through all of life's ups and downs, highs and lows, victories and defeats, indeed, life and death. This present is one that if God gives you the grace and power to open and to enjoy or to reopen, will breathe the brightest colors of life into the darkest crevices of your heart. This present that I'm speaking about is supernatural joy. Supernatural joy. Transcendent joy. Holy joy. Holy happiness. Happy holiness. Supernatural joy. That's what I believe you want more than anything else on this Christmas and indeed every Christmas, indeed every day, every hour, every moment of your life. You long for supernatural joy. That's why you're here on this Sunday morning. It's what our culture tries to capture and capture and control and recreate with the so-called Christmas spirit. Something that during once a year that we would think about light entering darkness, think about joy entering sorrow, and just for a season we could capture something. So our culture tries to control and handle and, and manipulate and have and, and have that to give to you, but can't because what it is indeed is supernatural. We see in our text today is Mary, a teenage girl with supernatural joy, celebrates with Elizabeth an elderly relative who shares this supernatural joy. Both have miraculous babies in their wombs. Both have found favor with God that leads them to this supernatural joy. Non-Christian, if you've chosen to come this morning, perhaps because it's Advent, you decided you would go and explore the things of Christ, or maybe you're here with family, I just want you to know that today you you will hear how to receive this gift, this present, this supernatural joy. 
Christian gathered here. I just asked the question before we jump into the text and unwrap this present a little bit. Have you forgotten this gift? Have you forgotten the supernatural joy that once enraptured your soul through faith in Christ? That transcends circumstances, that goes with you through life's ups and downs. It's available to you to be refreshed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you need an update. And there's a little red bubble like on your phone when you need an update. <laughs> Perhaps you need an update on that supernatural joy. God is able to give it. So let's pause again and ask in prayer even for this gift. Mighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I plead with you even right now. Would you send a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit even now to give and renew supernatural joy in your holy name and for your holy glory and for our eternal joy? Supernaturally, do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want to consider the ingredients of supernatural joy, if you will, the ingredients of supernatural joy by looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 45. Now, in this text, which I'll read in just a second, Mary goes to visit her relative, likely her cousin, Elizabeth, because the angel Gabriel told her at the end of the text last week, as, as Pastor Luke preached, that Elizabeth's barren womb had been miraculously blessed by God to conceive in her old age. Now, Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, was a priest, but Gabriel told him this was going to happen, and he didn't believe the angel's words. And so in not believing the angel's words, the angel said, all right, bet it up. You're muted. You can't speak right now. So what do we see right now is we see uh, um, Mary going to hang out with Elizabeth and celebrate. And there's some natural joy because the husband can't interrupt the conversation. <laughs> He's mute. <laughs> so there's natural joy happening. The two pregnant moms can talk about pregnancy and dad not mess it up and interrupt the conversation. But we'll see that it's more than just that. We'll see the supernatural. But let's look back earlier when Zechariah was serving the temple and you'll see this context so that you understand what's happening in our text today. Look back to Luke chapter 1, verse 11. So again, Zechariah is in the temple, and the angel Gabriel appears, verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And notice verse 14, And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient uh, uh, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That's a good way to call somebody old, right? I like that. That's wisdom. I'm going to use that one. Are you, are you advanced in years? Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So again, Mary and Elizabeth getting together. Zechariah doesn't appear in the conversation in our text today. I wanted you to see why. He's mute. He can't enter the conversation anyway. So we pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was 
was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary's journeys, some 50 to 70 miles from Nazareth, through the Judean uh, dangerous kind of country hillside to Zechariah's home. But she did so in haste. The angel told her, your, your kinsman, again, your, your relative, a cousin, an aunt maybe, uh, is pregnant in her old age, in her barren, she's been barren. Not only do you have a miracle in your womb, so does womb and so does Elizabeth. But notice this passage drips with holy joy. Why? What are the key ingredients of this holy joy? Number one, the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. The illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Mary steps into the house and immediately the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps with joy. Now again, this baby is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, who, who's going to be from the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, again, even from his mother's womb, as we read in chapter 1, verse 15. Even think about this. The first person to rejoice over the coming of Christ in Luke's gospel account was a baby in the womb whom God had already filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, if you've got a problem with miracles, you've got a problem with Christianity. <laughs> you must believe the supernatural to be a follower of Christ or else you reject him. But even in this moment, the first person to be celebrating and joyful and have this holy joy, this supernatural joy, is an infant in the womb, six months old in the womb. But also notice Elizabeth, too, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is how she knows. We, we see from the text in verse 41, the second part of verse 41, that she's filled with the Spirit. That's why she knows. So Mary shows up and just does the customary greeting. So I, again, I don't know what it was necessarily, but it's, hey, what up? Good to see you. And immediately Elizabeth knows, you're the mother of my Lord. The baby in my womb, filled with the Spirit from birth, just like we talked about. Now me, filled with the Spirit, understands you have in your womb the Messiah, the Christ, the Redeemer we have longed for. Supernaturally illuminated joy. And so she shouted. Listen, I, like some of you are so concerned about right doctrine, but you're like, you're like, a, like a theological Grinch. <laughs> it's like your heart is not enlivened. Have right doctrine, but it ought to lead to something internally. So she has right doctrine. This is the Christ in this womb, and it leads her to shout, Blessed are you among women. Blessed are, like, I can't even believe I get to be, like, why would my Lord come to your womb and you come to visit my house? There's an internal response of great joy because of true and right theology. Blessed describes the happy situation of those whom God favors. And so Elizabeth says, you're carrying our Lord. Blessed is your womb among all women. You're carrying the Christ. Now listen, we, we don't have to illustrate or think about the joys of pregnancy. This church is full of pregnant women. <laughs> like it keeps coming. My wife was uh, looking the other day at the meal train. She sets them up and there's like 16 of them like in the next few months or something. Like it just keeps like, but, but in this moment, it's not merely the natural joy of a baby. Both moms, there is that joy, there's that natural joy, but in this moment, there's the Holy Spirit has illuminated, but this baby's not just like any other baby. And yet you've come to visit me. That's her humility. And all that Mary's done is say hello. 
She's only said hello. The Holy Spirit has illuminated this to Elizabeth. The Spirit has brought this joy to her. Supernatural joy because of the supernatural one in the womb. Like the psalmist. And I love her humility. Like, like who am I that you would come to my house? Like, we're a bunch of nobodies. The Messiah to our family? To us? It's almost like the psalmist in Psalm 8, 4. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Elizabeth, as it were, is saying, like, whom am I that a, a relative of mine would, would carry our longed-for Redeemer and come to visit me? So again, we see the Holy Spirit is active in the womb for John the Baptist from the get-go. The Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth so that he illuminates, so that she understands what's happening. We know that the Holy Spirit, as Luke preached last week, overshadowed the Virgin Mary such that she was pregnant with the Son of God. And now John the Baptist is leaping in the womb with joy because of the Holy Spirit. So what do we see from this? The Holy Spirit gives supernatural joy in Jesus. So if you want to have supernatural joy, you must have the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we see in this text. Every single person responding, understanding who this Messiah is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth highlights not merely the Holy Spirit, but another evidence. So again, I ask, what's the ingredient? So the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is a person, not merely an ingredient. But the Holy Spirit illuminates and gives us power to understand and believe and know who Christ is. So that's an ingredient. You must have that faith. And that only comes through the illuminating power of the Spirit. But that's not the only thing. Notice the second thing. We see it in Luke 145. Look again. I read it. Maybe you missed it. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What are the ingredients of supernatural joy? The illuminating power of the Spirit and submission to the Lord's Word. The Spirit and the Word, you must have both to have supernatural joy. After Gabriel told Mary she'd bear the Lord Jesus, Mary responded. Look back again at chapter 1, verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And look at Mary's response. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. So what did Mary do? She believed with the Lord nothing is impossible. She viewed herself as a, a humble servant of the Lord. Now I need to remind you, Mary's a teenage girl. She's perhaps around 16 years old. And she believed God's promises such that when Gabriel says, you're going to have this baby, it's going to be supernatural. I understand you're a virgin. I understand all that's coming with all of this reality. She says, okay, I'm a servant of the Lord. I trust you. I trust his word. And she knew and believed God's word, as we'll see in the song we look at in just a moment. The whole uh, Magnificat, the, the, the song Mary writes and sings, is saturated with Holy Scripture. So this teenager knew her Bible. This teenager understood God's promises. This teenager understood God's authority in his word. This teenager, filled with the Spirit, now receives the word and submits and trusts the word of God. She knew God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. She trusted and believed the same God as Father Abraham. So again, what are the two key ingredients of supernatural joy exuding from this scene? 
the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit and surrender to the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God such, you, such that you find supernatural joy in Jesus. This is what Jesus later teaches in his earthly ministry. He tells us this is what the Holy Spirit does. John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus, in teaching his disciples, says the helper's going to come. It's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the helper. He's not just going to dwell with you. He's going to dwell within you. And what he's going to do is he's going to guide you into truth. My word is truth. He's going to guide you into truth and reveal and glorify me. So Jesus says, this is what the helper do. And do you know the result of that? If you keep doing it in John 16, he's talking about, hey, in this life, this joy transcends. So the Spirit's going to guide you into truth. Glorify me. You'll go through some sorrows, John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So it's the Holy Spirit who causes us to be born again. That's John chapter three. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us into the truth in such a way that we find joy in Jesus. He does so through the word of God. Teenagers and young people here today, the joy you long for is not found in a TikTok video of yours going viral. The joy you long for is not found in the approval of your friends. It's not found in getting into the college and career of your choice. It's not found in the fleeting pleasures of sin. Look at our sister Mary's example. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can know the word as a teenager and you can have the supernatural joy of Jesus. Those advanced in years. Mm-hmm, y'all caught it that time. <clears throat> the joy you long for is not found in a perfect retirement where you have nothing to do. The joy you long for is not making sure you have enough money to keep what you want to keep and give away what you want to give away. The joy you long for is not found in the glory days of the past or the fleeting pleasures of sin. Look at Elizabeth's example. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can surrender to God's word and have the supernatural joy you long for in Jesus. Everyone, young and old, Teenagers to those advanced in years and everyone between. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word for us to believe in Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit and to believe in Jesus in such a way that it calls shouts from our soul. We need the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus and give us the eternal joy in Jesus and, and find that faith in him such that when we see it in others, that makes us shout too. So notice what we have, even in this, just this little account of setting up the context. We've got the Spirit, we've got the Word, and we've got fellowship. Mary and Elizabeth, encouraging and edified by each other's joy in Jesus that is given to them because of the Holy Spirit guiding them into truth. So all of us, let us surrender and believe and trust and obey the word. Let us plead and beg for the Spirit's power and help. And let us not be afraid of intense emotions that the Spirit gives in joy in Jesus. And let's start that right now with our second point. As Mary expresses that supernatural joy through a song, again, commonly called the Magnificat. So this joy now, even from, so I've just given you the context essentially of now this song, of Mary's song. 
And she's having this joy. Elizabeth's having the joy. The baby's jumping in the womb. Everybody's got this supernatural joy. The spirit's at work. The word is at work. Fellowship is at work. And she now must respond, secondly, experiencing supernatural joy. So what are the ingredients of supernatural joy? The word and the spirit. What does it look like to be experiencing supernatural joy? Now, I considered titling this point, expressing supernatural joy, which I think would have been appropriate, but lacking. So I think we experience this joy and then we express it in song. That was kind of my first thought. But it just felt like, ah, like it's not, as we sing true things about God because of this, it's not merely expressing joy, because even in expressing that joy, there's more joy being experienced as we express it. And even as we express that joy and experience that joy, we're learning new things about why we have that joy. So it's not merely expressing something, like we're detached from the expression. No, it's experiencing the truth of supernatural joy as we sing it, as we express it, as we do so together. Mary responds to this grace, and as we've said over and over from this pulpit or other pulpits, save people sing. This is a common theme throughout the scriptures. So even when, Adam, when God brings Eve to Adam, he, he responds with poetic response to her at last. Well, you hear the echoes of Etta James in the background. <laughs> like he, he responds in that way. We see Israel get delivered and set free, and on the other side of the Exodus, they get outside of, and they're redeemed, and they sing, and they worship. All throughout the text, we see songs. We see the people of God singing. We see Mary singing right here. Disciples singing with the Lord at the Lord's Supper. We see the church singing throughout. Like saved people sing. We get saved. God does something and it responds in us. I've got to express this joy, but I'm not merely expressing it as I express it. I'm experiencing it and learning and believing it all the more. This is what Mary does. All in such a way that magnifies the Lord. Again, this song is traditionally called the Magnificat, which is a title derived from the opening word magnified. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's a, from the Latin translation. And that's what makes the joy we're talking about, the present we're opening right now, supernatural joy, holy joy. We're not talking about like an easy, empty, fleeting happiness. We are talking about a happiness, but it's a happiness that's supernatural, that transcends circumstances. Like, Empty, silly happiness is happy as long as things are going good. But the kind of thing we're talking about is a supernatural joy that says, I got this joy, whether it's going good or it's going bad. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I'll choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the kind of joy we want. That's the kind of joy she is now singing about, a joy that magnifies God, a joy that doesn't magnify Mary, a joy that doesn't magnify mankind, and a joy that doesn't magnify the expression of experiencing supernatural joy. All of those things will tempt us to magnify them rather than the God whom we're to magnify. So we, we can be thinking, we got to talk about Mary. This is where our Catholic friends get incredibly wrong and dangerously wrong, theologically wrong. Exalting Mary. When Mary's like, I'm exalting Christ. Don't exalt me. Or like we get a favorite preacher or a favorite leader, someone we try to exalt a man in place. Or we try to say, I want to have this experience. And suddenly we start exalting the experience over the God whom we're celebrating in the experience. So Mary shows us holy joy, supernatural joy, Holy Spirit illuminated and empowered joy magnifies God in Christ. John Piper, in a sentence outside of Scripture that's probably impacted and changed my life more than any other sentence I've ever read, says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's the holy joy she's talking about. 
God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. We're like, God, you are our chief joy, our chief treasure. We enjoy you unlike anything else in all the planet. And everything we enjoy, we enjoy unto your glory. God gets great glory from that. We get great joy. That's supernatural joy. That's what we're after. That's what Mary's going to tell us how to sing about. Perhaps this morning you need to hit the refresh button on that joy. Perhaps this Christmas season, the Spirit means to remind you to rejoice in all things. Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4, or 4, 8. Like to rejoice in the Lord always. Maybe you need to be refreshed in this joy that God, my life is about magnifying your name. And if my life magnifies your name, I have supernatural joy given to me by the Spirit, informed and, and taking me into the word, having joy in Christ. If I have Christ, I have joy. I need nothing else. Mary gives us at least four scripturally saturated ways to experience this supernatural joy. Now, again, I say scripturally saturated because there are too many echoes of scripture for me to uh, refer to you or use as cross-references. Or else we'd be here for an hour and I'd just be reading cross-references. The whole thing's influenced by Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 to 10. One scholar says at least 12 different Old Testament passages reflected line by line. But what I want you to see is this teenage peasant girl from Nazareth clearly has God's word hidden in her heart. And that which is in her heart comes out in her song. And it's true for us. The songs we sing with our whole heart reveals what really rules in our soul. Go watch secular concerts. You know what you're seeing? Worship. Maybe of the individual, maybe of whatever the individual is singing about. But when we sing songs and those songs are enjoyed with our whole heart naturally and we even got to work hard, it reveals what rules in our heart. Mary gives us four reasons to sing with supernatural joy in our whole hearts. Number re reason number one, rejoice in and magnify the Lord because he's a personal savior. Rejoice in and magnify the Lord because he's a personal savior. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord Reference to Habakkuk 3.18 even. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary is overwhelmed with God's saving work and his personal favor towards her. She knows she did nothing to earn this. Favor literally is an undeserved, unmerited gift of God. That he chose to set his gracious favor on me. He chose to set his pleasure on me. I did nothing to earn this. So even in using that language, she's saying, don't look at me like I'm the, I'm the one you should be looking to. And notice what she says. She refers to him as God, my Savior, who gave this favor freely. Who needs a Savior? Sinners do. So again, our Catholic friends err substantially and significantly and horrifically when they say Mary is sinless. She called God my Savior. She needs a Savior. She's a sinner. She understands this. One commentator says there's not the slightest hint of Mary worship or Mariolatry in this passage. Our Catholic friends err significantly when they exalt Mary to co-mediator with Christ. Mary herself exalted God for his greatness. But friends, look at how she exalted him. Notice the parallelism. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And what is that parallel with? My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So notice what she's parallel, uh, like putting together in, in, in parallel form. Magnifying God and my soul rejoicing. Glorifying God and my joy. 
So as my soul magnifies my creator and my redeemer, my soul has joy. I rejoice as I magnify him. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. She's showing it to us right there in the text. That as I exalt him, why is she doing this? She's like, because he's my personal savior. Friends, the incarnation should make your soul sing. Like as a Christian, you should be overwhelmed with gratitude that you're a Christian. It's a miracle you're a Christian. It's a miracle I'm a Christian. A supernatural miracle that only the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who brought the Christ the Lord to Mary's womb, the same Holy Spirit who made John the Baptist leap in Elizabeth's womb, the same Holy Spirit who filled, that Holy Spirit brought you to new life in Christ. It's a miracle that you're a Christian. A miracle. Like, do you feel that way? Do you think that way about your own salvation in Christ? And we know even more than Mary at this point. She would know later, but we know. He was not only born for us, he was born for us to live a perfect life for us, to die for us. He was born to die. The Son of God was born to die for sinners like us, to give us this supernatural gift of salvation, life. This is a miracle that you're a Christian. Joyful exaltation of God, our Redeemer, is the proper response to personal knowledge and experience of God's saving work. So God saving you ought to lead to you making much of God saving you. So again, we want to think corporately. We want to think about the church. We don't want to be so individualistic, but good night. Please understand he individually saved you because he loves you. Like care about your own salvation. Understand it's a miracle. He loved you. He set his affections on you. He saved you. He brought you from death to life. He gave you grace. He gave it to you. Celebrate that in Christ. Samuel Rutherford, a Puritan, said, When I look to my guiltiness, I see that my salvation is one of our Savior's greatest miracles, either in heaven or on earth. Christian, you should regularly stop and marvel that you are even saved to begin with. And when you sing these songs, that's what should be going through your mind. I'm a Christian. We are Christians. It's a miracle. You should take joy and magnify the Lord as you rejoice in him for saving such as you. Rejoice and magnify him because he's a personal savior. Not only that, rejoice and magnify him because he's, he is powerful. So he's not just personal, he's also powerful. And, 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 and Mary's going to get into a number of attributes of God, and I'm just summarizing there. But there's a number here we won't spend a ton of time on, but look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. So she's continuing, like the Lord has saved me. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So she's like, God, like, listen, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm magnifying the Lord. I'm rejoicing the Lord because he saved me, and now I'm magnifying, I'm glorifying the Lord because he is powerful, because he's mighty, because he's holy. He's set apart. He's in a league of his own. He has no competition. There's no one like him. And so she's thinking that I see his personal dealings with me, but I also understand he's so much bigger than me. I understand he saved little old me, and yet I'm not the only one he saved. So she's, she's, she's magnifying Christ. She's rejoicing in Christ because of his personal saving work, but also because of his power. Think of all the things from generation to generation, she says. Think of the promise to Adam and Eve and his faithfulness to that promise. Of Noah and his family. Of Abraham and Sarah of Isaac, of Jacob and Joseph, Moses and the Exodus, Joshua and King David, his faithfulness to fickle Israel over and over again. 
Think of the Gospels. Think of the book of Acts. Think of the epistles. Think of the whole testimony of Scripture. Think of your own story. Think of my story. Think of the stories of the brothers and sisters sitting around you. Think of the stories throughout church history. He is mighty to save. He is holy. There is none like him. If he wants a dead heart to come to life, that mug is coming to life. (laughs) And that dead heart can't stop it. He turns his enemies into his beloved children. He takes people who hate him and makes them into people who love him. And he's been doing it from generation to generation. And he'll keep doing it. He's powerful. The ways of God make the recipients of his mercy marvel and exalt his majesty. I just wish I could tell. I don't have enough time in this sermon. I wish I could tell you all some of my family's history and story. Naturally makes no sense I'm a Christian, let alone a pastor. Naturally, my family line all the way back, sadness after sadness, train wreck after train wreck. But God, he's able, he's powerful, and we ought to meditate and think on his personal dealings with saving me and then the fact that I'm nothing compared to who is man that you're mindful of him. You're saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's personal and powerful. Our God's grace is worthy. That's why we said personal enough to know my name, powerful enough to break my chains. When you sing these words, think about what you're singing. Learn as you're singing. Have your affection stirred as you're singing. The psalmist, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Thirdly, rejoice and magnify him because he exalts the humble and humbles the proud. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. Look at verse 51. Mary continues. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Our personal and powerful God is a God who humbles the proud and exalts the humble. A God who says, I don't need your celebrities to advance my kingdom. I don't need your kingdoms to advance my kingdom. Empires all expire. They got a start date and an end date except for his. He's the king. He's like, I don't need your human strategy to do what I do. In fact, I like using nobodies because when I use nobodies to do what I do, it's real evident and clear. I'm the one who did it. They get the joy. I get the glory. I like to work that way. And so he says, I understand. I don't like think about our study in Exodus. One by one, all of those plagues were demonstrating these false gods of Egypt are false gods and no competition for Yahweh. He uses his strong arm, metaphorically, to destroy them. And yet he takes a little girl from Nazareth. And we're still talking about her today. This is just what God does. You should glory in him for this. You should rejoice. And you should also then understand what matters is humility. So if if you want to be used by God, the number one enemy of you being used by God is your pride. Not Satan. Not politics. Not this world, not your enemies, your pride. (laughs) He exalts the humble. Those who are bowed low, he says, come here, we can work with this. He loves using nobodies, and I love that phrase. Then let's be those people who say, I'm just a nobody here to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. (laughs) That's the kind of God he is. He uses and exalts the humble. He gives mighty mercy to the humble who fear him, and he's faithful from generation to generation Proverbs 3.34, he mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 2.11, 
in 12, and then verse 17, the pride of mankind will be humbled, and human loftiness will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. For day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty against all that's lifted up. It will be humbled. The pride of mankind will be brought low, and human loftiness will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is for you to fill your need of him. So the old home, uh, hymn goes. And even in this, we see he's a writer of all wrongs. That eventually, all the wicked people in power that abuse power, all those who are rich and wickedly rich and think they need not God, that will be exposed. All the poor who think all they need is riches, that also will be exposed. But the humble, whether rich or poor, who rely on and fear the Lord, they'll be exalted and they'll reign and rule with Christ our resurrected Lord. And he will advance his kingdom. The mighty and holy one blesses the humble ones who fear him from generation to generation. Augustine said, if you want to grow in grace, humility is the first thing, the second thing, and the third thing. <laughs> and again, Luther, Martin Luther, the law is for the proud, the gospel is for the brokenhearted. As Christians, as the humble, we boast in the Lord. That's what humble people do. Not to us, not to us but to your name be the glory. Fourthly and finally, rejoice and magnify him because he's faithful to his covenant promises. Rejoice and magnify him because he's faithful to his covenant promises. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Our God is faithful. You want to rejoice and have supernatural joy? Remember he's personal to you. He's powerful. He exalts the humble. And he is faithful to his promises. You can take them to the bank. The incarnation reverses the curse on creation and makes way for the consummation. He came low that we might go high. <laughs> He's faithful to all of his promises. He's fulfilled them all in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen, 2 Corinthians 1.20, in Christ. So we look to him, our Messiah, the one who literally was willing to become, like think about this, if you're the king, if you're a most powerful king in an earthly sense and you're wicked and powerful, like are you intimidated by a baby in a womb? <laughs> no, you're like, oh, I'm guy, ain't gotta worry about that. Mm, but you do. <laughs> you do. He's gonna keep his word and he's gonna do it in such a way that accomplishes redemption in such a way that draws us into his grace John Boys, one uh, lived in from 1571 to 1625. Speaking of God's providence and creation, they, he said they reveal his greatness and goodness, but his saving work of redemption is a work of greater might and mercy than all the rest. For in the creation, he made man like himself, but in redemption, he made himself like man. Our God is a God who keeps his promises and he can save to the uttermost. And then we read in verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Elizabeth was about six months pregnant when she got there, remained about three months, so we don't know if it was right till John the Baptist's birth or right after. They celebrated together, and they celebrated with supernatural joy. And so again this morning, I'll just conclude by asking you, do you have supernatural joy? If you're in Christ, you do. So be guided by the Holy Spirit into the Scriptures and see and believe even what Mary has saying from the scriptures. 
that God has saved you personally, individually, you. That he's almighty and all-powerful and that the almighty and all-powerful has individually saved you. He's personal and he is, he's, he's powerful. That also he takes the humble. You think, oh, I'm not good enough for the Lord. Well, welcome to the show. You're the one he likes to get. You think, I'm not, oh, I don't deserve a second chance. I saw a pastor say, you, you think you don't deserve a second chance. You didn't deserve the first one either. <laughs> like, this is who he is. He works with those who understand I'm low, he's high, nothing in me, all in him. And he'll keep every one of his promises. That's why we sing to remember and express and experience supernatural joy by the Spirit singing the truth of the Scriptures. Non-Christian friend, look to Christ today by faith. Repent of your sin. Trust in Christ. And know if that happened, it's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He's given you a new heart. And we want to be encouraged by your faith and your growing in Christ. We want to help you. And we want you to be encouraged by ours and help us. Word, Spirit, Church. Supernatural miracles of grace. Supernatural joy. Let's ask the Spirit even for help. Father, we come to you. In-